that's where they where kids fall through the cracks because if your child isn't failing but they don't see the amount of effort that it takes at home they don't see the stress that it causes the family all of those things the self-confidence issues the anxiety everything else that's starting to develop and that's where at home that mom gut you see that i tell parents all the time when they just say i'm not sure something's there but i just have this feeling i'll tell you 100 percent of the time there's something there Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine-year-old daughter with dyslexia, who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our life seemed to turn upside down for a while, quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside-down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. You are listening to episode 22 of the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. Today on the show, I have Dr. Paul Cohen, who is a licensed psychologist who's been in private practice in Atlanta since 2004. He specializes in providing psychological services to children, adolescents, and families. He also provides comprehensive psychoeducational testing to help identify learning, processing, attention, and social-emotional issues for children and adolescents. You're going to love our conversations today as we talk about the whole child. We talk about testing children for learning differences. We talk about emotional and social-emotional issues. This is you know, a rather long episode, but I think if you hang on to the end, you will really enjoy all the pieces that we talk about because we don't hold anything back. We talk about public school assessments. We talk about when you should have your child assessed. We talk about how to find the best person to test your child for dyslexia. And so it is just packed full with expert advice because Dr. Cohen has been at this a while, and he is very well known in Atlanta, and I'm just so excited to have him on the podcast to share his knowledge with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation today. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you. I'm so excited uh, to have Dr. Cohen on our on our show today, and many of you have asked me questions about testing and just it seems to be the number one thing that comes up a lot and so i wanted to take this opportunity to you know reach out to someone that does this every day all day long that can provide us some really great insight uh from the perspective of of what to look for and so i have a good bit of questions and i'm so excited for you to meet uh dr cohen so we're just going to jump in so welcome so much to the for you coming today to the dyslexia mom life podcast i'm so excited to have you with us well, thank you very much for, for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this. Well, I, if you will, you know, if you don't mind, um, like I said, got lots of questions I know we want to dig into, but can you give the listeners just a little bit of background about yourself and for them to get to know you a little bit before we jump into some questions today? Sure. No, absolutely. So I'm a licensed psychologist in private practice. I've been for about 15 years based out of Sandy Springs, but uh, work with families and students from all around Georgia. I mean, I've even had people from out of state come in to work with as well. I do, you know, a a lot of psychoeducational evaluations. Um, I um, also do some therapy. Uh, Therapy caseload is a little little jam-packed at this point, you know, and with COVID, we're doing uh, virtual 
um, sessions with with the therapy, uh, still doing in in person uh, testing sessions, um, but we're taking all precautions with that. As far as my background, um, I am um, I got my undergrad, uh, master's degree, and PhD all at the University of Georgia. Um, so I'm a triple dog. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, as far as like I said, I'm prior for practice for for about 15 years or so, um, and 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 specialize in 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 working with kids, educational issues, uh, learning disabilities, ADHD, emotional issues, behavioral issues, all of those sorts of things. Um, and so uh, that's what I do uh, professionally, um, you know, at home. Uh, I'm a dad, <laughs> I have two kids. Um, my daughter is um, 25 years old. She is now she just actually recently graduated with her master's at uh, UNC and is moving to Asheville and she's going to be a therapist herself. So I'm very proud of her. Um, and my son is um, currently um, in eighth grade. Um, and so run the gamut. I have an experience, not just with uh, you know, working professionally with students, but um, you know, my son is dyslexic. I've uh, been down this path uh, myself. Um, also ADHD, all of the kind of things that we see. It's interesting. I was doing this professionally um, before, you know, I had a little one <laughs> and, um, you know, it just changes your perspective uh, quite a bit. And, um, you know, and I, I often share with families my own experience. I try not to do it, you know, too much if they don't want, but I feel like they get a lot of, uh, a lot of times I get um, from them. I really appreciate you sharing your own experience uh, because I get all the time. What would you do if you were in this situation? I'm like, I have been in this situation. So, yeah. Um, so it's, 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 it's been really a good kind of mesh with what I do professionally and also um, with my family personally. Absolutely. Well, th well, thank you for sharing that and congratulations to your daughter as well. That's exciting to start her new chapter of her life as well. So thank Absolutely. you for sharing that. And, and, and if you don't mind me asking with your son, you said he's an eighth grader currently. What About what age was it that you found out or identified that he was dyslexic? So um, really, I mean, it really hit first grade, um, you know, and we, we really picked up on things first grade. We knew, as every parent says, my son, you know, <laughs> he's very bright, but um, why is he struggling? Why is he having difficulty with the reading and the writing component of things? And, you know, he's on the younger side because he was a June birthday. And so we thought, okay, developmentally, all of these things, of course, you get from teachers, well, he's just a boy. And just professionally, I saw all these red flags because, uh, you know, interestingly, I get a lot of questions from parents. When can you start testing for dyslexia? And the reality is, I mean, you can't diagnose it until they're into the reading process. And so you can see if they, you know, are not where they should be developmentally and into the reading process. Um, but there are all these red flags. I mean, if a child is having trouble with like recognizing letters and retrieving the sounds and things like that, those are all red flags that you can, and, and I can see that in, in kindergarten. I can see some of it in pre-K. That's really early, but you can see some of those red flags. And I always, I have worked with kids as young as, um, the youngest is four and that's really, really, really young. Um, and, um, so, I mean, I don't always recommend and suggest that, but it's usually at that age that I see, 
um, processing issues that are going to interfere, whether it's language processing and retrieval and things like that. And you can see that that early, um, you know, as far as the reading and things like that, you start to see a little bit more of, as like I said, the letter recognition difficulty with rhyming, other kind of red flags that kind of pop up that make you go, hmm, something's just not right. And, you know, I know, you know, I've had another child that didn't have this experience. And, and so for, for us, we really, he was diagnosed in first grade, but we saw some other issues, but he also, again, along with um, dyslexia, it, it, you just don't have that in isolation. We had some focus issues. We had other things that were getting in the way. So we had to tease all of that out um, to make sure that that's what we were seeing. And so um, when parents call me and say, um, when is, when should we do testing? And they're like in first, second grade, I say, well, we, we can have already done this. Um, and so that's, you know, let's go ahead and jump on this. Uh, we can do it earlier too, but sometimes I, I hear it a lot of times, um, parents are recommended from some psychologists, wait till they're six. And there's no really hard line there. The only reason why you might do that is there's some tests that you can give at six that you can't do at five. And usually that's like the IQ measure, the part of the battery that we do, the cognitive measure, where it switches from like, if you're using like the Weschler scales, like we do, um, it goes from the Weschler preschool um, and primary scales of intelligence um, to the Weschler intelligence scales for children. Now, what's the difference? I mean, some just feel like um, the whisk, you know, is uh, it, it just it just steps you into where you can do some more formal testing, um, you know, with the WISC and then also some other tests where you can get some more formal ideas. So, I mean, that gives you kind of a, a an idea of I went uh, from uh, what age we can start doing that. But like I said, for my son, going back to the question, um, he was in first grade and that's when we um, were, we really kind of saw his issues. Yeah. For, it was for us for first grade too. And it was, the, just like you said, just other pieces that we kept seeing, mostly ours was speech and articulation concerns. But now, of course, looking back, there were other signs that we didn't know, right? Uh, but I think it's important, too, you know, for people to think about. I know a few of um, my daughter's classmates, they have other siblings that are dyslexic. And so their moms that I talked to said, you know, we knew kind of early on because we already had that in our family. We we didn't know at the time, so we didn't know to have it on our radar. But I think for some, you know, like you were saying, even, you know, sometimes people are discouraged to wait to third, fourth grade to test and things like that. But, you know, if you have a background, which everybody does, you just may not know you have it yet, um, you know, to go ahead as soon as you can, because that just makes such a difference. And one of the things that I don't know if you talk about with your families either is sometimes you just know, right? Like I just, I contributed to that intuition or that mom gut or whatever you want to call it. But at some point it just hit me hard and I was like, you know what? No, we're we're gonna at least find out. We're gonna find out if I'm overreacting as a as a as an older mom or if it really is she's got some concerns and and she did. And so I'm glad that we went ahead because many people did tell us it's developmental, it'll click, just give her time. She just does things slower. But like you said, she was I thought, you know, her vocabulary was amazing. Her thought processes, the things that she came up with just seemed very creative for her age. And so I was like, it just wasn't making sense, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, <clears throat> you know, as you said, um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that, um, 
that can go into this decision. And I have parents that always, you know, if I do testing, I mean, there's some, I have tested um, a young adult that was never evaluated before. I've tested a student that was a junior in college that was never evaluated before. And we, you know, was able, we're able to tell them, Hey, this is what's going on. You are dyslexic. And, you know, the college student was like, wow, that's great because I always thought there was, I didn't know what was going on, but it's never too late. I always have parents that, you know, whether or not we do testing, if it's, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, high school or whatever, they're like, wow, we should have done this earlier. I was like, but you couldn't have known or your child, I mean, you just, sometimes you don't have the information and, 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 and you never beat yourself up about it because your child has gotten this far and dyslexic children are very resourceful. And a lot of the times I get students like, like my son, honestly, the public school system would never have identified him as, as an issue other than his ADHD because he couldn't focus. And the reality is, um, you know, he was making the grades because he could figure out how to do it. Um, and he wouldn't have hit the wall until much later on. And, and the truth is, um, my son also is um, twice exceptional. He's in the gifted program, along with being dyslexic. In the public school system, again, that's where, they, where kids fall through the cracks. Because if your child isn't failing, then they don't see that it's an issue. But they don't see the amount of effort that it takes at home. They don't see the stress that it causes the family. All of those things, the self-confidence issues, the anxiety, everything else that's starting to develop. And, and that's where at home, that mom gut, you see that. I tell parents all the time when they just say, I'm not sure something's there, but I just have this feeling. I'll tell you 100% of the time, there's something there. It may not be rise to the level of a significant learning disorder, but there's a little processing issue. There's a, something else going on and we can uncover that and we can then say, okay, this is why you're seeing those things. And this is what we need to do to kind of target those and to address those concerns. So yeah, that parent gut, the mom gut, the dad, you know, uh, the dad gut, all of those things are always go with that. I tell parents, do not ignore that because that is, uh, you know your child better than anybody else, better than I do. I mean, I, I when I do the testing, I mean, I spend you know five to to six and a half hours with your child. Um, but you know, every day you see that child, you know that child, you know it better than than the um, their doctors, and and you go with that, and you walk in saying, okay, this is what I'm seeing. Will you help us kind of figure out what's going on? Yes, and thank you so much for that clarity too, because I think. Many times we do spend a lot of time focusing on why didn't we know sooner, whether it's in first grade or 11th grade or in college or whatever it might be. So the fact that you're listening today means that you're taking the steps that you need to take. And it's, it's you know, don't beat yourself up so much on that piece, like you said, Paul. So thanks for, for bringing that out, too, because... Although if you know early, that's great. We have, you know, a little bit more time for remediation. But if you don't, it doesn't mean give up, right? And you're right. Our kids are so resourceful. <laughs> it's just amazing how their brains work. So you answered my one question before I asked it, which was great, which was a little bit about, you know, when, when do we start this process? One of the questions I have for you is, you know, I get a lot of questions from parents on um, the the 
I guess the process itself, but before we get to the process questions, you know, I get questions on, should I just test through my public school or should I test privately? Um, We chose public school and I can talk about that. It looked very differently than what I know we would have gotten if we had gone private. And so, and, and I know you can't speak specifically probably to their processes, but can you at least speak to... As a parent, I'm trying to make a decision. So can you at least give them kind of a summary of what those two processes may be about and why they are different or if they are different? Sure. I mean, I think the main difference between public, you know, uh, private and public testing is probably the targeting. Um, I think in public schools, probably more kind of specifically targeting, looking for a specific issue or something like that. Um, I would say privately, um, you're just going to get a more thorough evaluation. Now, it, it also depends on the, the school psychologist. I mean, I have, I've read some that are fantastic that if, you know, that was like, okay, they've done everything, but you read the report and then you get to the end and you're like, but it doesn't say, is my child dyslexic <laughs> or it doesn't say, you know, what I, what, what other steps do I need to do? And so they, they walk away feeling like, um, you know, where do I go from here? What do I need to do? And so, you know, I think, um, and, and, and the other thing in, in, in public school is it takes a long time to get that process rolling. And, you know, I'm not an expert in kind of the public school system, but usually what happens, especially in Georgia, there's the RTI process and there's, um, you know, you have to, I believe, get to tier three or get through tier three before they will, you know, do the evaluation. And so the, the tier process is if your child's identified as having some issues, they will do some intervention. And that can take, uh, again, anywhere from, I, I, I had one parent that said they were going to do it for six weeks, which was short because I thought it was 12 weeks, um, you know, where you have to try some interventions, see if it works. And then um, if that doesn't work, then we move on and try another intervention, see if that's working. And so by the time you get to the testing piece, I mean, you may have been, you know, through about half the school year. Now, you know, to get in to see me, sometimes it might take a month or two, um, but it's a little bit faster process, um, you know, as far as I now walk you through kind of exactly what I do, because it's really important that that anybody who's listening um, and they're looking for testing, they get a thorough psychoeducational evaluation because I get calls all the time. Can you just test for dyslexia? Can we do a screener? Or I, on the other hand, I say, can you uh, can you just test for ADHD? Just you know, just that. And I always tell families, um, there are people that do that, but I will not do that because your child, you can't look at them in a vacuum and look at just one issue. You have to look at the big picture and see what's going on everywhere so you can rule out that if the child you think is dyslexic that it's not a processing issue that's not an attention issue that it's not an emotional issue that there's other things that are going on and so when somebody gives me a call the first thing that i do is i walk them through everything i let them know okay um what we're going to do is you know depending on the child um it's it's on the young end five hours to the older end it's it's six and a half hours so we break that up over two days um, with the very young kids we can break it up over more days um, and before I even bring the the student in I gather a lot of information um, I send out 
um, forms for parents to fill out so you can give me all the background information. I want to know thorough thorough history and medical history and all of those sorts of things. What are the strengths and weaknesses? What are your concerns? Um, I have, I send out forms for teachers so they can send me the information as far as what are they seeing in school? What are their concerns and so forth? I have parents fill out checklists and behavioral questionnaires to look at things like ADD and ADHD, because oftentimes if that's an issue, it compounds the, you know, um, the problems that the child's having and things like that. That kind of saves, people always ask, do we come in first and do an interview? Well, the way we set it up is, no, we try to save you some time. All of that, those forms and everything is kind of our interview initially. Um, and it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of paperwork. When parents sit down, they try to do it the night before and they realize, uh-oh, I should have probably spent about a week on this. <laughs> um, but then I bring the student in. And, you know, I first get a measure of their cognitive abilities or their intellectual function, because I want to know what is this child's capabilities, what should we be expecting as far as their potential. And, you know, and that's where um, we set the bar, because if the child is above average, well above average or average, we want to know where we should be looking as far as their academic achievement. And then we look at the different, you know, different areas of academics. And that tells us whether or not they're reaching that potential. Now, there's a difference between public school and, and private testing, um, because typically the public school will lump them into the average range and just look through the, the lens of how are they doing compared to the average student? Well, again, if your child is above average or well above average, that's what I'm going to be looking at to see, okay, compared to their own capabilities, where are they functioning? And so academically, we look at their reading skills and we go all the way down to basics and look at like word recognition. We look at um, decoding skills, you know, uh, phonological awareness. We look at reading fluency. We look at comprehension. All the way down with the younger kids, of course, we're looking at letter identification. You know, can they put sounds with the letters? Um, can they, you know, can they rhyme? Can they um, give me words that begin with sounds? Can they blend sounds? You know, those sorts of things. Um, we look at, we look at spelling and writing skills. And of course, with the younger kids, it's can they, can they write their name? Can they, you know, write the letters? Can they retrieve the alphabet letters on their own and put them on paper, things like that. So those are things that we do. We look at, um, uh, you know, uh, math calculation, math problem solving, because we want to look at all academics. And if they're not reaching that potential, that tells us, okay, we have a learning issue. Is it now, is it a weakness or is it a significant issue? That, that's what that tells us. But mostly I tell parents, you already know that. <laughs> that's why you're coming to see me. So I look at, and one of the things that we do a lot in our practice is look at the processing that underlies the learning, because we want to, the processes tell us, why they're having difficulties. I mean, so we look at things like auditory processing of information when they're doing, like we do a specific um, specific test, like the CTOP and things like that, where you have to, um, you have to listen to an audio recording and blend sounds together, or, you know, or if you have to um, take apart sounds, are they hearing those sounds correctly? Because that could be a lot of kids that are dyslexic may be a separate issue, but they have an auditory processing issue or auditory discrimination issue where they're hearing sounds, they're different sounds, but they're hearing them as similar. We look at things like language processing, you know, as you mentioned with, with your child, um, you know, 
Are they having trouble with word finding, word retrieval, organizing their thoughts, getting information out? Are they having difficulty comprehending information as it's coming in? We look at fine motor skills that impact handwriting and, and drawing and all of that because that can impact you know, that could cause, you know, dysgraphia and other issues. Um, we look at visual processing, like visual spatial skills, visual tracking, all of those things, because again, these are things that underlie the dyslexia. And you may have a phonics auditory issue. You may have a visual processing or orthographic issue with dyslexia, where you have difficulty recognizing what those words look like, or you're transposing the order of letters, all of those things. Of course, we look at um, attention and focus, and we also do an emotional evaluation to look at how are they doing? How are they handling all of this with self-confidence, anxiety, possible depression, other things? And so that's what I tell the parents. I, that's what I walk them through and say, this is what we're doing. We do all of that. So in school, likely they do, you know, they do that pr probably not to the degree and as thorough and they leave out some of the areas and, and so forth because they're more targeted. And unfortunately, I think also they have so many kids they have to test. It's a money and a time issue. And so they are not able to do it as thorough. And that's what I tell parents. And of course, you know, it, it, the difference is the cost, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot more expensive. Um, but I do tell parents, if you go through this, you get what you pay for. You know, I have parents that call and say, well, what's the difference? You're, you're more expensive. I, I found somebody that could do it for like $1,500. And you, you do, you get what you pay for. <clears throat> and I do tell them, I said, listen, all of the things that I just walked you through, all of the things that I do, make sure they're doing that. Make sure that you're getting all of that. Likely it's not for that, but also you have to then look like, look at who's doing the testing. Are you getting it from the psychologist that has been doing this for a while? Are you getting this from a psychometrist, somebody who, <clears throat> you know, is fantastic and has a master's degree, but they do all the testing and they have nothing to do with the input, input and the interpretation of all of the testing and all of that. So, yeah, I do all of my own testing and all of those sorts of things. So it, I think that's, that's some of the differences. And again, in school, um, you know, in public school, it's, it becomes a time and money issue. I know the school psychologists probably want to do as thorough as, as they can, um, but also they're, they're limited and they're told, okay, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to target. And it's the same thing with insurance companies. People ask me, you know, do I take insurance? And we are out of network. We don't take insurance because the, if you go through insurance and they pay, pay for it completely, they can tell, they tell you, you get this set number of hours and this is what you can do. And, and it's very limited. And so that's, that's kind of, I think the difference with that too, as well. Yeah. And I loved, I mean, I, you know, wanted to um, kind of unpack some of the stuff you just said. So one of the things I heard you say, but you didn't really say it, which was really looking at the whole child, right. And looking at, you know, all those pieces, because, I know for us anyway, so my background is in education. I was a teacher and then I went back and got graduate degrees in school counseling. Um, I, you know, I didn't do, I, I took some assessment courses, but I, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't something that I did for a living. And then I went to law school. So I have kind of a different background. So I ask probably different questions or I look at things a little differently than most. But what I heard you say really was the whole child, because what I have found probably with most disabilities, but especially with dyslexia is 
it is going to impact somewhere else. And so if we're not looking at those social emotional pieces as well, even within your family, then you're not going to get a whole picture of what your plan should look like. And so when I hear you talk about those things, I think whole child, like you're looking at every piece and component to to get the best report and the best information to them. And I do worry about... Um, you know, families, I know economics is a piece of that, but to me, it's just an investment. And so I just have to figure out a way to make that work. I know that's easier said than done for many families. So I don't mean that that flippantly, but I do think that I've had a particular family or really a tutor that reached out to me and she's like, I know this person got it wrong. And if they get it wrong, that is so bad for your child. And then now they couldn't afford another one. And they were trying to go to a specialty school, and he looked different on paper. And this person that had been working with him, an OG tutor for many years, said, this is not, I don't, I don't think this is right. And they knew who had done the testing, and they said, I just have some real concerns about the credibility. of." And it was me- very similar to what you said. She's like, I'm not sure the person that tested him is the same person that wrote this up, because it doesn't match. Well, and, and as you said, you're absolutely right. If you... It, it, it is, it's an investment money wise, but also time wise. Mm. Um, and of course I try to work with all families. If they call me and say, okay, can, can we work this out? We, I, I try to do that as much as I possibly can with the families, just because I know I've been through this, but because also if you go somewhere and you don't get the right evaluation, as, when I tell the families, once we're done with the testing, I sit down with them. One of the things that you got to do you have to get from the psychologist is a good feedback. They shouldn't just hand you the report and say, here you go. I sit down with the families for at least, it's about an hour and a half. And, you know, we go over everything, everything from beginning to end, let them know what we found. What does this mean? Where do we go from here? What's the game plan? And then I tell, and then it takes a couple of weeks or so um, to get my full report. And my reports are usually, they hover around somewhere 25, 30 you know, sometimes more pages than that, but that's the the thoroughness of the evaluation. And I tell the families, once they get that, our relationship begins right now. Not when you get the report, it's not over. This is where everything starts because this is our journey. This is our roadmap. And this is what we need to do. And you're going to need to possibly call on me to say, hey, this was your recommendation. This is what we've done. This is how things have turned out. What do we do next or whatever? And I tell the families, you can, you can, you know, reach out to me and maybe after, you know, immediately after we've had our feedback or what you read the report, or, you know, um, it may be, I've get calls from families six months, a year, two years, five years down the road. And that's part of the process. So I can help them say, okay, here's what we need to do. This is where we need to go at this point. And if you get an evaluation that one isn't thorough enough, doesn't give you the answers, or possibly, unfortunately, just limits you and sends you down the wrong path, just saying, well, your child's just ADHD, or your child has behavioral issues. Well, they may have behavioral issues because they have processing and learning and all of these things. They send you down this path, and you follow this path for the next year or two, and you're you're going down the wrong path. I mean, that is just, and and that's where that's why I love doing what I'm doing, what I do, because I want to help the parents go down the right path and help them walk them down that path 
while they're doing their journey. And that's, that's, that's what you should get from a psychologist as far as testing and the process all the way through, not here. We've tested your child. Here's the report. See you later. <laughs> you know, that sort of so, thing. So what questions would you advise um, people ask when they are trying to determine who they who who they should have test their child and do this this evaluation and I know sometimes parents are like I just want to know if they're dyslexic but we know there's other you know comorbidity some people call it co-occurrence in other words for parents listening usually it's not just dyslexia it is you know as you know dysgraphia or ADHD it always seems to come with a friend right and so um, you might not get that in other you know testing and so I'm just curious. Um, you sound like you do a very thorough job and you do look at a lot of different aspects that really gives a parent a complete picture. But let's say I live in Texas and I don't want to drive here to get an assessment. You know, are there some questions I should ask or I should look for on these websites when I'm looking at someone? And are there any red flags? Like you said, if someone says, well, for $500, I can do all this. And you're like, that's just not, that's not feasible. You know, what are there? So could you share maybe a couple of questions they should ask or what they should look for? And then if there's any red flags of, yeah, just put a pin in that person and keep looking <laughs> to see if, you know, you can validate what they're saying. Because we do know that costs are different in different parts of the country. So I want to, you know, that's, that's part of it too. So. Absolutely. I think, I mean, um, one, when, when I tell parents, when they call, I encourage them to call around. I say, call everybody that, you know, you've been given referrals, uh, for, and you're interviewing them. You, you know, you need to find the right person, but I tell them, I said, whether you go with me or you don't go with me, make sure you have all of these things covered. And one, yes, cost in, is going to be kind of a red flag. I mean, like you said, if they say, you know, $500, you're going to get a full of, uh, uh, that's not typical. You can get that usually at like when, when I started at the University of Georgia, at their, the, you know, the training facility, but you'll get somebody that just has done, you know, that is, you know, training to get their PhD or something like that. And they'll be supervised, um, which is fine. But if you have a, a situation um, where you really want to figure out what's going on with your child, um, I could tell you when I did my first several evaluations, I didn't know near as much as what I do now, 15 years later. Um, so it's really important. Somebody with experience, um, somebody that if they don't have a lot of experience, like when I, when I graduated in my practice, I was uh, supervised by a fantastic supervisor that was doing this for years. And so not only had my eyes on it, but you had her eyes on it as well. And so that's an okay situation, but you just need to make sure that, um, you know, that they're very hands-on and, and interpreting the information along with the person. But it's, it's about experience. It's about um, asking all of the questions. You know, are you doing a, you know, a thorough IQ measure, a cognitive measure? Are you doing academically, you know, if they're, if they're not just giving one reading, you know, uh, evaluation, because if I, if I tell you what we do in our reading, we do sight word recognition. As I mentioned, we do reading of non-words. We do reading fluency. We have the children read out loud and see how they comprehend in that setting. We have them read to themselves, see how they comprehend in that setting. I do probably five or probably more different reading assessments 
because you can't just give one and say, oh, the child's dyslexic or they, you have to see how they're, how they do in all of these different, you know, situations and environments. So it's thoroughness. It's, are they assessing very thoroughly academically, but then also are they looking at the processing that underlies the learning, the auditory processing, the language processing, the memory, short-term memory, long-term memory, retrieval, all of those things. You just can't have, I, I've seen some evaluations where you have the IQ measure, you have, they gave maybe one reading assessment, and then they said, well, this child has a reading disorder. Possibly, but you can't truly confirm all of that unless you get that thoroughness. So when you're calling, you need to ask how, you know, what are the assessments that you're giving? You probably won't know them because you've never heard of them, but ask what kind of assessments are they? What is that, you know, what is that evaluating? All of those sorts of things. Ask all of the questions. Do not, like I said, um, do not be afraid. If, if they're not going to answer your questions, you don't want to go with them. You just don't. I mean, I, there are times I will sit on the phone for, with somebody for 30 minutes just to go through the process and answer all their questions. And, and they decide not to go with me, which is fine, but that gives them the tools moving forward to find the right person. And so that's also very important. You'll know, and like I said, it's, it's finding also that mesh, that click when you talk with that person. There's many times I have people that hang up and, and they, they call around and they call like two, three weeks later and say, you know what, you may be scheduling further out, but I talked with you and I feel like you know, I, I feel more comfortable. And, and that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I pride myself on. And that's what I think psychologists should be doing. It's, this is about finding in this moment. I mean, parents are in a panic and they want help and they want to know what's going on. And they just need, they need a steady hand and somebody that's going to guide them through this, this process. And that's going to be really important when you're calling somebody to find out all that information. Right. And, and then again, go back to your intuition. If something just doesn't feel right, you know, like you said, when people call you back weeks later, they realize that you did take the time to answer their questions where others may just keep directing them to the FAQ on their website. Right. So, Oh, I, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would prefer up in the middle of the night trying to look at something. But, you know, if you're going to be making this investment and you want to make sure that you are with the right person, not only just that relationship that you're like, oh, I can see us working together, but also this is your child. And so you want to make sure that you get them with the best possible person that can work that out. Because I know earlier we were talking about, you know, through the school district, there may be, you know, those, those tiers and I would think most states have an RTI like system because they can't test everybody. Right. And they're not going to. And so they have to have some kind of process to, to, to work with students for interventions. However, you said earlier, you know, what happens though to those children that are in tier one or tier two that are they figured out a way to make it work for them for right now but at home you see it at home you see the struggle at home you see the self-esteem so it may even be that that's not going to get assessed you can go to the school and say we're struggling and and i had a friend that this happened to and she was wanting to do a 504 plan and they kept saying well but she's doing fine. And then we're like, but it's taking her three hours to do what it's taking everybody else 30 minutes to do at home. So I think that piece too for parents, uh, you know, it's, it's discouraging for us, but also yet another reason why you may have to, to make the investment to go private because 
there may just be things that the, the schools are not going to be able to work out because in their eyes, like you said, they may be looking through it through a certain lens where someone that's doing this type of testing privately, it should be anyway or is looking at the whole child and looking at all the pieces because as we know, you know, you know, working as a former school counselor, we know that if we don't get those basic needs met, they're not going to be able to learn academically. So if I am completely anxiety ridden, <laughs> There's no way I can study math, right? And so your service provides that because you're going to say to me, Nicole, Hattie is completely stressed. Well, math is not our issue. She loves math, so that's not a good example. But let's say she's just anxious to, to do a, you know, a, a weekly vocabulary test or whatever it might be. And so I don't know that you would get that much in the weeds, but my point is you'd say, hey, Nicole, Hattie does have some some anxiety. So let's talk about that as part of this process where you, you're not going to get that at the school level. Absolutely. You know, and and, and uh, just to kind of go back a little bit to when parents email me, I they usually a lot of like to do email, but I you'll see I will pick up the phone and not I won't email back because I want to talk to you. I want to. And on my website, it, it says, too, you can reach out to me, but leave me your phone number because there's a lot of nuances to this. And I want to walk you through this and I want to talk with you because through email, you don't get that. And so that's really important. But also to kind of go back to what you were saying, yes, parents, then when I when I go through and I say, yes, we assess for anxiety and they go, oh, yeah, we're dealing with that, too. We're dealing with this and that. So absolutely 100 percent. We, we've got to figure out where that anxiety is coming from, because did it start when the child started into the reading process? Well, then that tells me that it's probably related to the learning issue. But many parents say, you know what, we've had anxiety since birth. And then I have to say, okay, well, then that's probably exacerbating things. And so we have to kind of tease it out. But then, but you just can't leave that. You have to address that. What do we need to do? Do we need some therapy? Do we need to, you know, just work with the school counselor, maybe give opportunities for the student to excuse themselves, to talk to the teacher saying, I'm, I'm really kind of freaking out right now. Can you help me through all of this? Because yes, you're absolutely right. All of those things are part of the picture. And we've got we have to know the picture of the child. And as you said, the whole child. And that's why I, unfortunately, I think it's a disservice to just do when parents say, can you do a dyslexia screener and tell me yes or no? And I, I say, I could do that. And I could tell you, we're seeing signs that look like this could be dyslexia, but it doesn't give us the answers and we need to know the answers so we can then make the proper plan. Absolutely. So a question that came up among some of the, uh, well, at least one particular person in my, in my group, in my audience asked me a question this week and I thought, hmm, I need to ask Paul about this. So I know, you know, and your assessments look very different from the school district, but the school district many times leans back on, you know, IDEA and will say it's a specific learning disability. And they won't say, you know, some states like Georgia are starting to make some progress with that, but some will not say the word dyslexic. So the question that came up was, does it matter? Um, and so I gave my response. And so I was like, this is my personal and professional opinion, but I'm going to ask Paul what his thoughts are on when is it that we need that dyslexia or dyslexic, I'm not going to say label, but identification as opposed to my child has a specific learning disability. What this parent was told at the school level was, oh, teachers will just know they're dyslexic. And I was like, well, I don't agree with that piece, but maybe they do in that school. But usually that's not generally the case. So I was just curious as to what your take is on that, you know, for, for families. And, and does it matter? Should it matter? And if so, why do you think so? Um. So I think schools are getting better at recognizing dyslexia and 
coming around to uh, using the term dyslexia. But when you see specific learning disorder uh, and reading, um, that tells you not a ton of information. It tells you that your child's having trouble in reading. Well, what's causing that? And so in my reports at the end where you have the diagnoses, you'll see I cover all of my bases. I, if, I will say specific learning disorder with impairment in reading impacting sight word recognition or reading accuracy, phonological awareness, reading fluency, comprehension. So it teases that out. And then I'll say consistent with dyslexia or whatever it might be. So I literally will have covered no matter who's reading it, do they, because the schools will say, this is just how we say it. And they, if I just said dyslexia, there were a couple of years ago that they would say, we don't accept that. So <laughs> I literally put everything down in there that they can't not accept it because you accept this term or that term or whatever. So we do all of that. So if you see specific learning disorder, it tells you there's an issue, but it doesn't tell you, is it phonics? Is it sight word recognition? Is it fluency? Is it comprehension? And it's too general. And so we need more specifics. So it definitely could be dyslexia and it probably is. But what you then have to do is you have to flip back into their report and see where did they score? Uh, where did they have difficulty? And was it in the phonics area? Was it in the fluency area? Well, then you can gather it and say, okay, it, it was sight words. That's probably 95, 98% definitely dyslexia. Or, you know, if it's specific learning disorder with impairment in writing, is it because of the dyslexia? Or is it, you know, does it, or is it dysgraphia? Or is it organization of writing? All of those sorts of things. And so you want to specify, and I do that specify, you know, as much as I absolutely can so there's no confusion. But yes, a lot of the times there's the, there are these general um, diagnosis terms where you then have to flip back and look at where they had issues so you can specify. But unfortunately, sometimes they do not. And schools, you know, like you said, um, they won't go that, that extra step to name dyslexia or dysgraphia or dyscalculia or any of those because it used to be that that's more of a medical term, not educational. And so then they just kind of stuck with that. Um, and so it can be a little vague and confusing, but I always tell parents, if you want to send me a copy of that report, I'll look at it and tell you that's what's going on. And the question that you said was, when do we need that term? The only time you would probably really need it is if you are applying to a specific school that says, I need to know that this, you know, th that this is dyslexia. And so I've had that. There are some schools that say, I, we need that term in there. Others that just say, if I call them and say, you know what, this is what it is, but don't worry about it. It's in there. Um, but that's it. It's just for clarification. It's to be very, very clear. And also if you are like applying for scholarships or things like that, that, um, you know, that we need that, that's when you would need that term included in there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thanks for your thoughts on that as well. So how often do you recommend for um, the families you work with for a, a reevaluation? So you have your initial evaluation. I know districts are on like a cycle that they do those. I mean, what is your recommendation to families if they, if they have something uh, like ours was from first grade, but now my daughter's in fourth grade and she's in a specialty school for dyslexia. She's had, you know, going into the third year of remediation. I'm anxious to know kind of where we are and 
and where do we need to go from here? And so um, I know three years is in my head, but I don't know if that's what you recommend. But I was just kind of curious to, you know, and then too for families, you know, if they're trying to budget out, I need to do this every so many years. Uh, And maybe it's not a year cycle. Maybe there's specific signs that you say, okay, this is when you should definitely think about doing a reavow. Could you speak a little bit to that? Absolutely. Um, So I think it it really depends. It depends on the school that they're in and depends on their situation that the child is in. Um, You know, most like private schools will say every three to five years, you know, depending on the child. Um, Honestly, um, you know, if your child is in a, a, a specialized school for kids that are dyslexic, of course, they get evaluated before they go in uh, to make sure that that's the right fit. And then usually when they leave to, to make sure, OK, where are they um, and what is going to be because I help with that process, too. What's going to be the right environment stepping out of this and what, where are they going to get the, the help that they need? And so we can see their progress. Now, I've had kids that are at specialized schools for six years or so. And, you know, in in that time, it's good to kind of sometimes get a good mark on where they are in their progress, because if they're there that long, you want to see kind of how how they've progressed. Um, So it really depends because I've had a student that I tested um, in elementary school and at probably first grade. And then I had a parent call me and say, they're in 10th grade now. Can you sign this paperwork because the school just needs, you know, just to say, okay, they need the accommodations. And I was like, I don't know where this child, you know, what's going on. I said, I, all I know is the picture of where they were 10 years ago. And I said, I can, I can vouch for they, where they were 10 years ago. And, and the parents said, honestly, they said they don't care. <laughs> I was like, okay, I kind of do. I, you know, it would be nice to have a good picture of that, but they just wanted to sign off on their 504 plan. Well, here's the thing. If your child was diagnosed with dyslexia and through the years, that evaluation, you know, they're still dyslexic, those accommodations are still appropriate and they're still valid, then, you know, take the report as long as you can go with it. I tell parents because, you know, ride that report as long as you can. Um, and as long as one, the accommodations are still working and you don't need anything different. Um, but once you start to see, okay, my child is a little older, these accommodations are kind of expired and they're old, we need new information, that's when we need a reevaluation, when we need to gather some new information. Like I said, it's usually any transitions. Um, you know, sometimes it's into middle school or into high school. Um, but again, like I said, sometimes if I test a child in middle school and they're able to get accommodations and throughout high school and then the high school counselor is able to apply for the ACT and the SAT and get accommodations, ride that evaluation as long as it's still working for that child, as long as you can. Um, but sometimes there's kind of the, the timing wise, the ACT or the SAT wants absolutely within three years. And so we need to know, we need to get that if we're going to need those accommodations within three years. And I usually tell parents, if we can wait until the child's 16, 16 is kind of a magic number because at 16, we then can give the adult versions of the tests and norms that the colleges want. And so you are guaranteed that the, the colleges won't want a reevaluation. You know, and so that's kind of like when you have an older child, if we can wait till 16. But I have kids that was 
that are 15 that I'm testing now and they haven't been tested since second grade. And the school's like, we cannot wait. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if the child's 14 or 15, I'm still gonna write my evaluation geared towards accommodations for high school and on into college as well. So hopefully we won't have to deal with that. But sometimes the colleges want an evaluation with the adult norms of those tests. And so that's kind of that's kind of a long-winded answer about what when to do it. But it is usually, I mean, every three to five years, some schools are sticklers. Every three years we want an evaluation. But I do say if we can push it a little bit because actually nothing has changed and we are still, you know, the, everything's still working fine for the child, let's push it as long as we can because I, I'm a parent. I know how much it costs. And, you know, I just wish that, um, you know, um, the, the child just needs to, we just need to make sure the child's getting everything they need as far as the accommodations. Yeah, exactly. And, and it is it's so, it's so subjective to some degree with some of that as well. So I know that as far as, you know, what we need to do, I just, I know that's a question that comes up and, and, and my mind and others, I'm sure as well. One of the, one of the questions I have for you, and I don't know how much of it you can answer today, because it may be one of those, it's going to take me a minute to answer kind of questions, but you know, it sounds like working with you, I would get a very good picture of what the next steps are as far as what the recommendations would be and the report and the accommodations you would recommend and kind of a game plan. But for many of us, we didn't get that. And so sometimes I get questions from moms that are like, Nicole, I don't like, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. And so, you know, of course there's the general things about, you know, remediation and tutoring and is it, you know, Orton Gillingham based and all those types of things we talk about. But, you know, where would you, I mean, it sounds like if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, you do a very thorough job of that. Like someone walks away from the table, um, you know, having a conversation with you and has a pretty good idea of, okay, this is our next steps of what we should do as a family. But for those of us that didn't get that opportunity, where would you tell us to start? So, um, one, I would... And let me ask you, Paul, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Maybe part of that question really is... If I'm looking at my psychoeducational, no matter who wrote it, is there certain areas I should go to and focus on and try to pick apart if I didn't have um, a good uh, feeling about that when I left as far as understanding and maybe I am not have access to the person or they just didn't do as thorough a job as it sounds like you probably do. I'm just wondering, is there places we can point them to in their psychoed that might help them kind of get an idea? Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of people, especially most psychoeducational evaluations, they flip to the end. <laughs> they flip to the recommendations and accommodate the summary recommendations and accommodations. And those recommendations will be important. I mean, I, I prioritize mine, you know, the, 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 the most important things are listed first. And then we go down the list. I list everything that we've seen. Like, like if there's a possibility that we may have seen some visual tracking issues or the possibility we may have seen language processing issues. It's not the A number one issue. It will be in my report just because we'll say, okay, we need to address number one issue first, number two. Then let's see, are the things kind of falling into place? If not, then we do number two, number three, number four, number five. If that's unclear, the first thing we need to do, and I know you mentioned, what if I don't have access to the psychologist that did the testing? That's a different situation. But the first thing I would do is I would go back to that psychologist and say, it's unclear here. Can you help me with this? Can you add, can you, 
Like if there's something missing from a report, and sometimes there there is, and I will add an addendum to that report and say, okay, this is what we need to add to this report. Can you add those things? Your psychologist should always be willing to add information to it if it's needed, if it fits the evaluation, things like that. Add an accommodation if it's appropriate, those sorts of things. If you didn't get those things very clearly, then um, sometimes the use your resources. I mean, the um, like the, the International Dyslexia Association, they have lots of you know resources and things like that and, and people and there are advocates that you can talk to, um, you know, parent groups uh, that you uh, obviously know. That's where you get a lot of wonderful resources. And if you say, uh, you know, this is what my child got, um, you know, then you kind of reach out to that. If you don't have that and you can't get in touch with that psychologist again, your hands are, are a little bit tied as far as like, you know, you can't, like, I can't adjust somebody else's evaluation. I can't add to somebody else's evaluation because that's their work that they've done. But I can, you know, if somebody calls me and say, what should I do? You know, um, I often kind of send them, you know, to people or advocates that can say, okay, this is what you should be getting as far as resources and things like that. And I will make recommendations. These are accommodations that the child should have. Go back to your psychologist and say, can you please add this and put that in there? Because like I said, I can't add to somebody else's evaluation. Um, I can do like, and, and I've done this, like if, if, if it's like somebody had an evaluation within a year, um, I can use some of that information and add and do some more testing on top of that, which wouldn't be the full evaluation and say, okay, based on this stuff together, here are some, some accommodations and other recommendations that I would make, you know, things like that. And so finding somebody that's willing to do that. Um, and it's, it's, um, that's also why upfront <laughs> you asked when you're interviewing, that's what you need to know. What am I going to get as a result of this? What kind of recommendations? How many recommendations do you typically make? What sort of accommodations? Cause honestly, I could say, as far as accommodations, I list everything that I see a child will need currently and might need in the future. So anticipating a child in first or second grade down the road might need a copy of notes from the teacher or another good student because they're going to have trouble keeping up. They may need to have access to books on audio recording because when they do book reports, we can't have them taking two to three times amount as time to read through the book to then to sit down and write the report, all of those things. So again, um, just before, I mean, I think the best way to prevent that from happening is on the front end, doing a fantastic job of interviewing and saying, what am I going to get as a result of all of this? And make sure that the, the, um, the, the, um, the psychologist is going to be able to say, I'm going to give you all of these recommendations, um, whatever they might possibly be. And I'm going to give you a list of accommodations that will be, you know, a dozen or more, you know, as far as what you're going to need moving forward, those sorts of things. So if you're in a situation where you haven't had that, again, I would go back to them and ask for a possible addition addendum to the report. But if you don't have access to that, again, use all the resources um, you can, um, all the, the parent groups and things like that. But also maybe find a, a psychologist that's willing to to clarify things. And if they need to add, like I said, if I do some of my own testing, I can then make recommendations, but I can't take somebody else's work and, and try to make, you know, um, you know, 
and and just say here's the combinations I would make based on their their information because honestly I I trust my own eyes and I don't know what has happened with that previous testing and who did it and 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 all of that. Right. Yeah. Sure. That makes perfect sense. And I'm just thinking too. You know, so many times it seems like because we go through so much emotional pieces as we're going down this journey as a, as a parent. And, you know, many times I get asked that question of, I don't, I don't know where to start. And my immediate thought is always, well, let's go back to your psychoeducational. I know that may seem, because like you said, it's, it's long, it's lots of pages. And, you know, if you can just, you know, we can point them to a direction to say, Hey, okay, well, because a lot of it at the beginning is background information, historical information about your family and things. And it's, it is important to read the entire, you know, report. But if you're at a place where you're like, okay, I need to go back and just refresh my memory so I can figure out what I want to do on this path and what I might need to do next, or maybe something's not working and was there other suggestions. And so, you know, I, I feel like sometimes parents are kind of panicky almost because they're just feeling so overwhelmed and you know I think some of that is they're getting into different groups and they're hearing so much come at them from so many different people that they just get a little overwhelmed too so sometimes you just have to kind of take a step back but I think that's you know absolutely I appreciate your thoughts on that and and thinking through that because many times you know what what is it we miss the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees however that analogy is so we just let our own emotions get us so worked up as a parent because we want to do what's best for our kids right and we want them to be successful absolutely and and it'll be important too that the psychologist like the meat of the report with like all the numbers and things like that that that's for professionals to interpret and if you're not sure what that means i mean they should walk you through all of that but that Peace can also be so overwhelming to kind of figure that out. And that's why, again, the, the the middle of that report, I go over everything with the parents and explain what those numbers mean and all that. But then they go back and look at it and like, I, I, I don't know what this is. And so, you know, that's why it's really important, again, um, you know, to have that information in the report, but to have somebody that has really, really explained it and summarized it and all that, um, you know, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's in the report, if it's not, well, it should be, <laughs> but to go back to that person and say, I need more clarification here. I yeah. feel lost. You should not be. Now I do tell parents when I'm done going over everything, I said, your head is going to be swimming and it's overwhelming, but it, and it's going to take probably 72 hours to process and to get to a point where you start thinking a little clearer about all of this. But as you do that, call me reached out to me. I'm here to help you with all of this stuff and walk you through all of this. And, and reaching out to whether it's, it's schools in the area that, you know, um, you know, that, you know, specialized schools, a lot of the times they have um, people that can help you interpret that information, but also finding, like I said, a good psychologist, I will be happy to do that. I tell parents all the time, I'm willing to look at your report and let you know what I see and whether or not we need to do more or whatever it might be. And so finding somebody to do that, that, that will be important. And I love too, what you talked about early on, which was, and this goes with the finding the right fit for you and your family, because you talked earlier on, I recall about, you know, it's just not, your report will come in the mail. Good luck with that. I yeah. mean, you make yourself available to families to ask follow-up questions, which we, we have a lot of, right? Once we try to to digest that entire report and think back of the things that we talked about. So I, so I appreciate you bringing that back up because it is a piece that, you know, as you are interviewing and looking for someone for testing to have those conversations, you know, 
especially for those that might be kind of suspect, like "Mm, someone recommended me to them, but they're saying for $500, I'm going to get X, Y, and Z, and they're going to be available for follow-ups. It may just be they're going to send you a report and they're not going to spend much time with you. And that's not going to be beneficial for you or your child, in my opinion, anyway. (laughs) I just think that, you know, there's so many pieces of that. We can't afford... um, and not the money afford, but just the timing, you know, no matter when it is, first grade, eighth grade, senior in high, high school, college, we can't afford not to, to have that relationship. So that is such an important, I think, follow-up question is, you know, once you once we're done, you know, are you going to be available for supporting questions? And obviously not 24-7, but right. I, that's such an important, to me, that's a red flag, right? That would be yeah. one of the red flags, perhaps. Absolutely. And one thing while you were just, um, you know, a commenting that popped into my head too, as well as a question to ask is how many of these evaluations do you do per week? Cause if you have somebody that's doing five a week, um, they're not spending time. I mean, they're just pumping out these reports. I do, I, because I split, I do two to two and a half, maybe at the most, sometimes three a week, because I want to make sure that I'm spending time with the families. They get everything. you And if you have, these fan, these psychologists that say it's going to be three hours of testing. And I do, you know, I, I do five or six of these a week, you know, you're not going to get the care and time um, that's needed with all of this. And they're doing it because they're just, um, and that's what, that happens a lot of times when you go with somebody that takes insurance as well, because then insurance dictates what you can do and they do pay a minimal amount and then they have to do a lot more and they're just not getting the quality the thoroughness and things like that. So that's, that's, that was something, as you said, taking the time to be able to have the time, you need to know that, that they're spending that focusing on your child and your family. Right. Absolutely. Uh, So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. So, so you have shared with us, thank you very much about your son who's in eighth grade and that you're you're really on this marathon with us, right? I mean, you got your running shoes on, you're hitting the ground with us, not only professionally, but privately. You know, what advice would you give to parents who are just tying up those shoes, they're getting those tennis shoes on, they're getting ready to hit the road, and, and they may not realize this really is a marathon. What, what type of advice would you give to a parent? And, and you probably do this daily in your profession, but what would you like to share with my audience as far as advice for them? Patience. <laughs> really, uh, you know, that's the thing is, it's sometimes hard, unless you are dyslexic yourself, it's sometimes hard to understand and to see, um, you know, with my my son in particular, when he's, you know, writing down or taking notes, I look at him and say, how does, you know, you, a lot of the times he writes things down um, to make sure he gets it on paper, but he doesn't then stop and think about those rules that he's learned and things like that. It's patience and applying those sorts of things. It is a journey and you'll see a child does not get cured of dyslexia. They just, it, it, they, they don't get cured of it. They learn tools and they learn how to best um, to deal with this. So then they can, you know, it, it levels the playing field and all of those sorts of things, but you're going to see the child continue to have difficulty with what words look like. And if they see it in, you know, on this page, then on the next page, they may not recognize it. And it's hard to understand why that happens. And so it's patience. It's doing doing your own research, but be careful what you read on, on the internet. Go to reputable sources and books and things like that um, and to learn about what dyslexia is and to know that 
it's a lot more prevalent than you think. A lot of people don't talk about it. You know, um, a lot of the research says 20% um, of, of the population is to one degree or another. And it's not yes or no. It's kind of like to what, what degree and how much is this impacting my child? Um, and so it's a lot of that information. It's, it's becoming educated and being patient and going through this journey because, like I said, I have a lot of families that want this they want it fixed. Can I send them somewhere where they're, it, it's going to be two years and then they're going to be fixed? And, and that's not the case. They're going to be working on it for, for life. But again, they will have enough tools under their belt as they move forward to become more efficient, to, um, to be able to, the, the, the thing that I noticed with my son is to actually advocate for himself, to be able to say, hey, I'm dyslexic and explain to people why he's having difficulty in these areas and speak out and become more confident. That is the most important thing is that your child understands their learning style, that your child understands why they may learn different or process things differently. And it doesn't make them lesser than somebody else because dyslexic children, we talked about, they're resilient. They learn ways to cope. And actually in life, they're usually highly successful because they've learned how to deal with all of this. My biggest concern is as the child gets older that they learn those sorts of skills and they realize that they learn differently and they're able to speak on that instead of just kind of shutting down and saying, I'm not good at this, I hate school. And then we're dealing with the emotional impact of things. So the most important thing is um, through this journey, realizing not just academically the toll it can take, but emotionally and being able to build up the child and say, hey, there, there's a reason why this is happening and it has nothing to do with you not putting in the right effort or you not being smart or anything like that. Um, and that's the most important thing is the child understands that end of things. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah. we, I could literally talk to you all day. Like I just enjoying our conversation, but let's wrap up for our audience today. Um, how can people connect with you? How can people find you? I'll put some information in the show notes as well, but, you know, happy for you to share right now kind of how people could connect with you as well. Sure. I have a website, um, paulcohenpsychology.com. Um, you can reach out, uh, get my information through there, or you can email me. Um, it's paulcohenphd at gmail.com. Um, either way is fine. You can reach out or you can call me. Um, you know, 770-639-2880, any way that is most convenient for you. And if you have questions just about this process or you're just starting this journey and, and want to, uh, other questions answered, I'm always available. Um, you know, I will, parents always are saying, I, I worry about bothering you or I say, don't worry about that. I would not contact you or call you back unless I had time to do it. And so if I don't, then, I, you know, it, it, you, it, at the most, it'll take me 24 hours. That's it. You know, but honestly, I usually get back a lot sooner than that. So don't worry about reaching out. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for being on this journey with us. And uh, I just appreciate your time today that you're taking away from your family to be with us. And so thank you so much. And um, I, I appreciate you. My pleasure. It was it was fantastic. It was fun. Oh, my. 
I told you, it was going to be a long one today, right? But did you not enjoy the conversation that we had? Dr. Cohen is amazing. He has so many pieces of valuable information for all of us, no matter where you are on your dyslexia journey. I sincerely appreciated him and had such a wonderful time getting to know Dr. Cohen today. So if you want more information or you want to connect with his website or with him personally, why don't you go over to the website, dyslexiamomlife.com. You can see the show notes there and also access other shows that we have. And also, while you're there, you'll see at the top a link to a VIP resource library. I have started collecting and putting things there that are resources for you all in one place. So be sure to subscribe and get access to your VIP resource library. I look forward to seeing you again next Monday. Enjoy your week and don't forget, you got this.